Uh, it's been a while, friends. How are you? It is uh, episode 86, Hogwarts and all. Yeah, that's that's fucking stupid, but whatever. Um, I just decided to leave this kind of as an open topic AMA. Uh, we, of course, have the stupid Harry Potter video game controversy. Uh, I'm on the fence on this game. Uh, I was going to try and have uh, Noam Blum join as a guest, uh, but I think he's live streaming Harry Potter. Don't go look at it. Wait till this episode's over. Um, I'm, I'm on the fence on it. If I buy this game, it's not going to be because of any culture war around it or whatever. That doesn't hurt, certainly. Um, but I'm going to kind of link at some reviews as I've talked about. It's not really my total style of game, but if it looks fun, and if I look at some reviews, I may get it. We'll see. Um, and then maybe then we'll have Noam on, but he might still jump in here. Uh, I invited him. So if he comes in, we'll see. Um, that of course <laughs> led to a review in Wired magazine who gave the game a one out of 10. And what's funny is I don't think the person played the game much. Uh, most of the review, it's about a thousand word review, and most of it is about how evil J.K. Rowling is. And trans people are disappointed in her for some reason. Um, we also had Shotgun Frankenstein, Senator Fetterman, rehospitalized this week. And once again, uh, we were told conflicting things coming out of his office, just like we were the first time. Uh, he was told, we were told originally with his stroke in May that it was just a procedure, it was a hiccup. And then he had to go under surgery uh, for defib. And then we learned he actually had a devastating stroke and it wasn't just a hiccup. And the same situation kind of happened here. We were told he was just lightheaded and then he had to undergo MRIs and then he had to go undergo seizure testing. We were told he'd be out of the hospital overnight and he was there for three days. And now he's at home for the weekend spending time with his family, which is a phrase you never want to hear from a United States Senator or anyone in government. He's, he's going to spend more time with his family. Um, so that was kind of the event uh, of the week that kind of took a lot of our attention. And as I noted on the podcast, I guess we need to find out uh, where Dasha Burns goes to get her apology. Uh, I certainly hope she's emailing some people behind the scenes. Um, the funniest thing about that is Dasha Burns followed me on Twitter this week. <laughs> so that's probably not helping her cause much. Um, apparently we're blowing UFOs out of the sky now as well. And I think that this is kind of funny where we are in our social media hive mind atmosphere, which is, um, we're being told like very real information that possibly F-22 fighters this time didn't blow a Chinese satellite balloon out of the air. It was a silver disc without any propulsion, just hovering up there. And apparently they shot it down. And now an hour ago, we were told that they shot something else down above northern Canada. And I would be remiss if I didn't note that we went in a matter of days from we can't shoot things out of the sky due to damage on the ground. And the second that Joe Biden had a bad news cycle about it, now apparently we're just blowing everything out that's up there. Anything that's floating around, shoot it down. And you'd have to be dumb not to realize the political optics of this. And that's exactly what's happening. So those were kind of some fun events this week. Uh, I did talk about on my podcast today about this Brookings Institute survey about podcasts and seeing how this is sort of a version of a live podcast. Um, <laughs> I guess they're coming after disinformation on podcasts now. And uh, a lot of this has to do with you have to understand is basically just media competition. Um, the New York Times, for instance, had a piece about 
uh, how it's bad. The First Amendment is a barrier to public health and democracy itself now uh, when disinformation spreads online. And the one point I forgot to make is how we got here. And as I, you know, you, you don't have to be a genius or, you know, you don't have to be sitting in the host chair to realize the whole reason people are where they are in their groups and they're seeking out other news sources is because they just don't trust traditional journalists anymore. They don't trust network journalists. They don't trust network news. And it's because they've been lied to. They've been lied to from everything from Ford trucks exploding and rolling over to um, Russia gate to anything that involves any kind of political narrative that should favor the political right. And so people just tune them out and they go search for different sources of news and or entertainment. And I don't think people really care if that person is Alex Jones or Joe Rogan or Stephen O. Miller or whomever it might be. And this is still a fact that they don't get that the only way to combat and defeat disinformation is not through censorship, although that's what they certainly think. The only way to defeat disinformation is to put out accurate information. And now we're at a point to where we don't even think they can do that. A good example is the Washington Post just did a hit piece on a Republican congresswoman from Florida, uh, Rep. Luna. And within 14 hours, they were forced to uh, correct several parts of their hit piece. Uh, they did everything from ch uh, challenging her Hispanic heritage. These are two white women, by the way, who did this. Um, to challenging her father in and out of prison, to challenging if her, uh, if her relative died of heroin overdose. And apparently she's also now a secret Nazi because her great-grandfather was conscripted into the Hitler Youth. And within hours, they had to correct several parts of the story. And this is a good example of why people just throw their shoulders up. We would never be profiling, the Washington Post would never be profiling, two white female reporters would never be profiling Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Marx Bay's Hispanic heritage. We know that that would never happen. And now you have to ask yourself why. So those are just some of the things uh, going on, uh, but I'll leave it to you guys. We can pretty much um, just go off on whatever you guys want to go off on. Um, it's Saturday night. Who cares? It's also Super Bowl Eve. Um, tomorrow it's the, the racist Kansas City Chiefs, um, and hopefully maybe Andy Reid gets fired if he loses this game, uh, against the American Gardner Minshew. And uh, so I am rooting for America tomorrow, and it's uh, as simple as that. So uh, we'll go for about an hour. We'll go until about um, 7.30 Eastern. And uh, just uh, usual ground rules, just please, if you're speaking, just be sure to mute your microphone. Just uh, It makes it easier on me to kind of concentrate um, between online shopping or Twitter. Um, it also just makes it a better recording because these, these podcasts are published. You can go back and listen to them. And uh, also, it just makes it easier listening uh, for uh, the audience as well. Uh, the other thing, just please note uh, if there's a long queue, uh, that there might be people behind you. Um, so just note uh, that everyone, we want to try to get everybody up as we can. We've been doing pretty good with that lately. So let's just keep that rolling. And uh, just be mindful that there might be people behind you and just make your point pithy and uh, short. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, I'm the worst offender of that. Uh, but that's just how it goes. So again, welcome to episode 86, Hogwarts and all. Uh, looks like we got a newbie right off the bat. We'll just take Jeff. Um, Jeff, go ahead. Welcome to Versus Media Live. Uh, go ahead and unmute your mic. And uh, bottom button, lower corner. Uh, just hit that mute button if uh, if you're new here.
Okay. Jeff, uh, just jump back up into the queue if you up. Um, JD, good to see you again. Go <laughs> it's going to be a short episode. <laughs> Which I'm fine with. I, I have a million things going on. But, um... Oh, we got Larry. Larry's up there now. JD, go ahead. This is, I'm, I'm just guessing if we go through, like, three of these people, it's going to be a glitch with, uh, with Colin, which hopefully not. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can now. Go ahead. You sound like you're an out... <clears throat> it, sound, right. it sounds like you're, like, flying an F-22 high above the Canadian mainland searching for UFOs and balloons. I am in the car, and it inadvertently hit the call button, but nonetheless, it's good to speak with you again and hear your voice. Um, just real quick on the Washington Post, I was just curious if you had also saw that they called out uh, several uh, different podcasts, including Clay and Buck and, and others that do online stuff, in addition to that piece that you just mentioned. It seems like they're they're going all out right now on, on sort of, calling out what they consider to be misinformation all over the place. They also did the the, the one journalist um, who kind of picked up on Taylor Lorenz's comment calling out Jay Bhattacharya as well. It seems like they were all over the place this, this couple, last couple of days. Yeah, I, I, I went pretty much in depth into a piece on in National Review from uh, Jeff Blahar, who I consider a friend. And he kind of, he, he was able to merge all of these intersections of, of how they're doing this. You have one, you have media going in on some of this stuff. Then you have academia and think takes going in on this stuff. And then you have the White House, who's kind of directing all of that. And you have three institutions who have decided that they think it was disinformation or misinformation is the, is the most dangerous threat to democracy right now. And simply because Hillary Clinton avoided the state of Wisconsin for about 100 days, it really is that simple. She lost an election. They're blaming online accounts on Facebook and not blaming the fact that she didn't tour the Rust Belt at all. And that was kind of the dominant thread throughout the Trump years was we're, he's lying and everybody's lying. And I think the rest of us just go, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's a bullshitter, but they're all bullshitters. And that was one of the excuses they couldn't really get around. And so now that he's out of office, you have the Biden administrations in there and they're trying to weaponize the Department of Homeland Security uh, by using a thing called the Disinformation Board, which is still there. It's just they changed the name of it and it's, you know, Nina Jankowicz's isn't there anymore. And so their goal is to basically put pressure on media companies and social media companies to deplatform uh, certain outlets if they believe that these outlets are trafficking in disinformation. And um when you when you raise your eyebrows at this stuff, it's not because you're defending disinformation. We don't nobody wants that. But there's a lot of reasons, again, about how we got here. One is, is because we simply don't trust traditional news outlets. So people tuned out and they just went, I'm going to go listen to Alex Jones and be entertained at least. That has a big part of it. Um, another part of it is when you're sourcing PolitiFact and Snopes, we already know that these are left wing biased organizations. Um, who, when they fact check, uh, they are almost one-sided fact check every single time. That's another part of this. And that was the Brookings Institute report who said, you know, all of her data was based on reliable, traditional news sources in academia. And right there, you just go, well, this is garbage. And so 
Um, the goal here is not to combat false information. The, the goal here is to combat disagreeable information. And so any anything that they see, whether it's climate, uh, e- economics, uh, if you challenge Joe Biden on his jobs created number, uh, for instance, they could consider that disinformation. And then they could say, we're using this to deplatform you. And a comment from the White House said they're not really uh, interested. You know, they're not trying to deplatform people. They're just telling social media companies to follow their policies. Well, as I said on the podcast, if you are the White House or if you are a government agency and you're making that request of any private company, the threat is tacit. It's uh, it, the threat is already implied. Okay. And so, no, you as the White House do not just get to reach out and say, can you pretty please follow your policies? And we saw, of course, through the Hamilton 68 report uh, and the Twitter files, which is the most important part of all the Twitter files, that you had, you know, this group run by Crystal and Podesta who just they saw Russian spies everywhere. Like, and of course, that's Crystal. He's been he's been seeing Russians since the early fucking 80s. That's just who the guy is. OK. Um, and then, of course, Podesta's seen him everywhere because he claims that his email was hacked. Well, no, he he fell for a phishing scam. OK, boomer. Um, and so, no, he, he his email wasn't actually hacked. He basically gave them permission to go into his email box when you click a phishing link. And so they're blaming Russians everywhere and Crystal's blaming Russians everywhere. And it turns out Twitter, uh, to Yol Ross credit, was like, these aren't Russian accounts. And so, you know, again, and we saw this, of course, with the Hunter Biden laptop. They tried to pass that off as disinformation. And to this day, Biden, in the debate with Trump, said that all the experts agree that this is a bunk story. Well, he has not been asked about that. He has not once been asked by any journalist, either in an interview or during questions, because he doesn't answer questions. He never, he, he stops outside the helicopter and that's it. He's never once been asked to say, sir, we know the laptop is real. Why did you call it fake in a debate? And we know, of course, they're not going to do that. They're going to kind of try to bury the story. And that's the reason why people have tuned them out. So when you go off and, you know, you have the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, call the Hunter Biden laptop story, you know, fake news and it's a Russian psyop. Well, then it doesn't turn, it turns out not to be. And she's then hired by NBC News. And all of these things cater into this atmosphere in this, you know, environment of disinformation. Uh, who the arbiters of that is going to be, that's what this fight is. It's they, They're trying to be the arbiters of this to basically say, what we say is truth is going to be truth, and what you say is going to be disinformation, and we're going to make sure of that, and we're going to try to get you deplatformed. Yeah, right on. I, I just some of what they're putting out is just incredible, incredible stuff. And uh, I was just curious on your take on it. But I'll let you get to other callers, man. Good talking to you. And um, check out the Kings Penguins tonight, ten thirty. <laughs> Will do. Thanks, JD. And he dropped. And there's Joe. Joe, are you already drinking for your Super Bowl tomorrow? 24 hours from now, America's team, at least for a day, is going to take the field. America's and is going Let's to... not get excited here. America's team has just hired a brand new coach. America's quarterback will be taking the field. We'll, we'll compromise and just leave. For 24 hours, Stephen, that's all I ask. For 24 hours, the Philadelphia Eagles are America's team. And then your Denver Broncos Super Bowl 
rings and all can have that title back. I think that's a fair compromise. Uh, the only way I'll give that to you is if Denver signs Minshew, which isn't going to happen, unfortunately. Fine, fine, fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. But you know, so, so, some some team has to take on the mantle of defeating racism. Just saying. you are you are but, correct about yes. that. It's sickening. It's sickening every time you hear that chant and they do that motion and they hit the big racist drum. And uh, I, I, I have to mute the TV and leave the room. I just, I can't believe that in the year 2023, this. I, I, I can't either. It, it, this is not who we are. The Statue of Liberty says this is not who we are. And well, truth and justice will prevail at the end of the day. I have to believe. So as far as tonight goes, this whole Fetterman thing, right? Before I go into um, before I go into my thoughts about that, let me just set the stage for you here. You have a race that's one of the most watched races in the country, in a state that is definitely going to determine the balance of power, right? And you have a very high profile candidates, very high profile debates. There's a lot of opposition research that's out there that doesn't quite see the uh, the day. And eventually, the candidate who there were red flags raised about ultimately ends up on top. And after that candidate is elected, these stories come to light. But enough about George Santos. That is seriously the only reason I could not care less about Fetterman right now. Because you know what? This past election really did teach us between Fetterman being elected, between Santos being elected, and now with this attempted hit job on Anna Paulina Luna, gee, what the hell is the point of campaigns with opposition research anymore? Because it's clearly not worth anything. So I think that this past, uh, this past week has been a real, a real lesson for, for people to learn in all of that, which is campaigns cannot do oppositional research to save their life when basically you can have media companies do it to candidates who have won after the fact. I, th- I think what's interesting, and I'll, and I'll tell you where that the Luna hit piece came from. It comes from them trying to find more George Santos. That's it. The Washington Post has decided, and so, and I would argue CNN and uh, cable news media, and, but the Washington Post in particular has decided that they're lo- probably looking at their traffic And they're seeing that a good chunk of their traffic is coming in based on their stories about George Santos, because the majority of their readership are liberals and Democrats and progressives. And so they see what's getting clicks. And so they see, you know, you know, U.S. Congress's Forrest Gump is getting all of these hit clicks based on, you know, stories he's told or things he's caught up in and whatever. And so what I think happened is they said, okay, let's look at other Republicans who are elected and they see someone who's stylish. They see someone who's pretty and she's, you know, a young, stylish, pretty Republican, which is what I think it's about. Um, you know, she's out there, she's wearing like suit and ties and everything. And she looks great. And, uh, she's also a former SI sports illustrated, like amateur swimsuit model too, by the way. Um, don't ask me how I know that. Um, I'm just paid to research things for science. Um, and so I think they're, they're attempting to, 
generate more George Santoses. And so what the idea here is you go and you do this hit piece on her and say, hey, she's got some questionable stories in her background, too. And that's going to get Manu Raju doing his act. Oh, rap Luna, tell us about the time that you were caught in the swimsuit. And um, that's going to generate more of that. And then they're going to go down the line. They're going to try to find another one. And the whole guise of this is that if you start doing this one side, and this is where the press just steps in their own bear trap, I think a lot of people are just going to go, how come you're not fact-checking the fucking president? I don't think I could tell you a single fact about Joe Biden's biography. I guess we know he went to college, but even then he says he was like the star football quarterback, which he wasn't. I don't I, I couldn't tell you a single thing I know about Joe Biden's biography prior to getting into Congress. And even then he, you know, he marched with Mandela or some shit. And then you look at how they treated Elizabeth Warren, who you know faked being a racial minority to get into Harvard. And that should have been something in our in our whole equity and anti-racism uh, environment, that should be something that should disqualify you from office. It certainly disqualified her from the presidency. Um, she, she took that DNA test and that was the end of her presidency. Like that was it. Uh, she, you know, she went from being a favorite to finishing fourth in like the three primaries. And when you start fact check, and I do, and I agree that politicians background should be, should be checked hundred percent. This isn't an argument not to do it, but we only see this going one direction now. And this hit piece on Luna, the fact that, again, you had two white female report in the age of George Floyd, in the age of equity, you had two white female reporters call into question uh, a Hispanic congresswoman's heritage, just like they did, the Washington Post did with Tim Scott. You had a white fact checker with also Nazi ties uh, digging into the 23andMe of Tim Scott. And basically, this comes down to we, we're going to do this to you. We can do this because racial minorities are a threat to them and certainly a threat to them in places like Florida and uh, states in the south um, and places, of course, like Georgia. And so that's when they decide we're going to go in and we're going to just start. We're going to go down the list. And we're going to try to create a bunch of George Santoses. Um, they obviously had an easy time with this with Herschel Walker. Um and so that's what's going to happen now. And that's what I really think this is about. They're looking at their traffic. They're looking at how much oxygen George Santos is sucking up. Um, and they've made a calculation that this is what's going to get them eyes on their newspaper, eyes on their website. So they're just going to keep doing it. And we're just going to issue corrections after the fact. Um, I've been told, and I just in <clears throat> some stuff behind the scenes, that more corrections are coming to that Washington Post piece. And we'll see if they stick by it then um, with, with just how sloppy this was. And it wasn't that it was biased. It was it's that it was sloppy. They didn't even bother to do a Google search on voting records in Washington. They just went, oh, she was a Democrat because somebody told us she was. And so that, I think, is going to be where they're going to go. They're just going to try to create all of these George Santoses or they're going to try to embellish a lot of this stuff uh, on GOP reps. And I really do think it's pretty much that simple. You are right. I look at this and I'm like, this is this is a matter of um, voters and this is a matter of opposition research. And what's interesting, again, with Fetterman is we didn't have that with Fetterman. It was we are going to hide his condition from the general public as much as possible. And that's going to include not videotaping his rallies. Uh, it's going to include not asking questions about his health. 
Um, and it's going to include every time that we try to ask him one, his wife steps in front of us and we're going to be okay with that. And, you know, we're going to get what we deserve eventually with that. And that's probably going to be Senator Giselle Fetterman. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still not 100% certain that um, Shapiro would, would pick her as, um, uh, as, as the replacement for the, for the time being, um, until, until basically I'm shown otherwise. I mean, I, I've said it on a previous call-in that um, Fetterman, even before running for Senate, him and the state Democratic Party weren't, have not really been on great terms. And Shapiro is just an absolute party animal in the state. Um, like, he is the institutional Pennsylvania Democratic Party. So um, I, if, if, if I had to put money down on it, I still think that Shapiro if Fetterman were to step down, would pick probably one of the southeastern Pennsylvania Congresswomen, um, you know, for to, to fill that role. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. My final um, my final thought before letting you go is, um, did you see that um, Mitt Romney has a book that's or I guess not technically Mitt Romney has a book that's coming out, but McKay Coppins at The Atlantic is, is writing a book um, about Mitt Romney that's coming out this fall? No, I have a funny story about McKay Coppins on that, but go ahead. Oh, well, I'm, I'm actually excited to hear it. I just, it, it, it will, it will be the only reason I, I, I do bring it up because McKay Coppins is at the, um, the Atlantic right now, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just, it's just when that news broke that McKay Coppins was writing the book on Mitt Romney, and the whole episode with Romney um, at the State of the Union the past week, I'm kind of going back to George Santos, where they exchanged words, um, you know, as uh, as Romney was entering into the House chamber to take his seat about how, you know, Santos is an ass. It's like, you know, in that situation, it's like you're you're both assholes. You know, it's, it's like Romney, I don't think out of that entire exchange came out looking good per se, but then again, that's just basically who he has been for the past, you know, ever since he's been elected. He wants to, you know, he, because I think he genuinely does believe this of himself, he is the noble senator. He's the noble representative. He has the character and everything. And I think that, you know, for him, that might may be his greatest strength, but I think it also in many ways, it's his greatest character flaw too. Because he just seems to have completely forgotten or not internalized appropriately the vicious attacks that were leveled against him in 2012. And he never really, you know, stood up to it just because, again, I think he at his heart is a genuinely good man, but how he is just absolutely not cut out for the moment. And I think it's just a pretty big reason as to why his stature has faded so much within the party apart from picking the public fight with Trump. So I just thought that that whole episode was like, yeah, this is pretty much him in a nutshell, good and bad. Um, I, I've been a pretty staunch defender of Romney. I think he was at the time still probably is um, probably the best character guide to run for president in my life. I mean, just, and my problem with him embracing someone like McKay Coppins of the Atlantic, or these are the people, these are the same people that destroyed him in 2012. And I think that that's what a lot of people see with him, which is why, why are you going on meet the press? Why, why are you embracing the people that basically called you a dog murderer and you said you killed a woman with cancer? Like, 
that's stuff to me. That's why I wouldn't be a good politician because I wouldn't be able to let that shit go. Um, and you also see this, this is the irony with Liz Cheney, like Liz Cheney's embracing the people who basically called her father a war criminal, for instance. And they've made the calculation that no matter how bad these people are, Donald Trump is worse. And the calcul- the problem with that is Donald Trump is just as bad as those people because they created him. They're the people that created Trump. And my problem with Romney is he he very rarely to me ever like really lied, like just outright lied. He's a politician, so he fudges things and he does the same thing. And then he said, I don't get involved in primaries. When Mike Lee was running in Utah and he said, I, I don't I don't get involved in primaries, whatever. And you had McMullen running as a Democrat. Let's just be honest. And then Romney goes to Wyoming and he campaigns for Liz Cheney. And I thought Mike Lee isn't Marjorie Taylor Greene here. Mike Lee is one of the good ones. And I know Mike Lee raised questions about certification during the election. That was probably it. But I got to tell you, you have Jamie Raskin, who is a who is a media hero right now for his role in the January 6th committee. And Benny Thompson, who is also and both of those guys raised objections to certifying the 2004 Ohio election. That was the one that Barbara Boxer uh, stood to uh, not certify. And she did that with Hillary Clinton standing right beside her and Nancy Pelosi joining her. And so this is just this is something that politicians do. It's not like Mike Lee, you know, grabbed a musket and put his tie around his head and stormed the Capitol. And he's certainly not somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene. So Romney decides I don't he, he's not honest. He says, I'm not going to get involved in primaries. And it was kind of like, wait, what? And then about three weeks later, he goes to Wyoming. and He stumps for Liz Cheney in her primary. And right there is where I got off the Romney train. I said, I'm OK, I'm done. Like, um, if you if you can't get behind someone like Mike Lee, who's, who is one of the good guys in that in this party, then I'm just I'm kind of done with you. And you're on. You're being dishonest. And of course, Romney didn't face questions from his new friends in the media. Hey, you know, why? Why did you say you don't get involved in primaries, but you're getting involved in the Wyoming primary now? And that's where I got off the Romney train. And I think you're right about it. I think people are just they see one extreme of George Santos, which you know, you can argue the era of Trump ushered in that kind of politician. And then on the other side, you have a guy who I don't think Romney wins 2012. I, I mean, Obama was still a popular incumbent and popular incumbents always win. So I don't harbor that like he didn't fight hard enough and he didn't and, and like whatever. Um, but I think Romney represents one extreme of the party that people don't like, and Santos represents the other extreme part of the party that people don't like. And I think people are over both of those. And I think people just want something new. Yep. Do you have uh, the McKay Coffin story, or is that for another time? Um, I used to have a website. No, it's it's funny, because um, I, I almost sued him for uh, trademark infringement back in 2013 or whatever like that. And it's because I had a website called The Wilderness, which I had trademarked. It was my very first political website. It's where I did weekly long writing, for those of you who may or may not know, but I did weekly pieces that were 2,500 words, long reads. You know, I created beautiful kind of graphics for each week. I did one topic and then I would, you know, create graphics and it made it look really splashy and great. And that's kind of what kind of put me on the map. And that's kind of how I got picked up at National Review. But I had it in like 
this red font and uh, had the R backwards and whatever. McKay Coppins writes, he comes out with a book. Uh, he announces a book called The Wilderness. And he has the font in red font in almost the exact same font that my website was in. And he knew me at the time. He followed me at the time. And when this came out, I had people send this to me and they were like, have you seen this? This looks like you're like branding or whatever. And I was like, there's no way this guy who was at, I think he was at BuzzFeed at the time. I was like, there's no way. Like I had 6,000 Twitter followers at the time or whatever. And I'm, and then I go and I see it. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, yeah. So I actually spoke with an attorney through National Review because I, I just went to uh, one of the guys at National Review and I'm like, hey, do you guys have like an attorney that you have for, you know, infringements and like intellectual property? And he and uh, Rich Laurie at the time just gave me the guy. He said, yeah, here's the guy's name. I was like, thanks. And um, so I went, I talked with this guy and I guess the attorney contacted McKay Coppins people and said, you know, this looks like infringement. Like, you know, that's all pretty much intellectual property infringement is. Does this look like this? Now there's copyright law, but that's pretty much the only legal standard is if you hold up two drawings of Mickey Mouse and one is trademarked by Disney and the other one is, you know, some eight-year-old and Disney has sued daycare centers for using their art, by the way. Um, that's a fun story in Florida. Um, the, the only standard that's legal standard for a jury or a judge is, does this look like this and who created it first? Um, so I know that a conversation took place and the only thing that I know, I didn't end up going through with it. Just, I didn't, I didn't have the money for it basically. And I didn't want to do it through the time. And the next time that I looked at McKay Coppins, he had blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, that's my story about uh, how a journal basically stole my, my logoing and my design for his book. And I just kind of laughed. I kind of just laughed it off. I was like, I was trying to get the attorney to get me a letter from his people in the publishing house. It just saying like, you know, well, similarities just so I could have it framed. And uh, it just never went anywhere. So that's that's my funny McKay Coppin story. He's he's had me blocked on Twitter since God, 2013 or 2014. Nice. Nice. So never trust the journals. Of course not. No, no, because they will they will steal from you. All right, Stephen. Well, hey, good talking with you. Go Eagles. Good luck for your game tomorrow. If you're here to rub in the lightnings, because uh, they do play again, I think, next week. But go ahead. Well, yes, one thing I was going to say is I hope you got a good uh, taste of what the Lightning did on Thursday. And on, I think it's Tuesday is Valentine's Day. So for my Valentine's Day dinner, I want to know if that bet is still on and if you're going to cup up to it. And then we beat the Stars today. Um... This afternoon, so so I have to figure out how to Grubhub or, or yeah. DoorDash you a dinner, right? Or do you want to do double or nothing? Because I know, no, I think next week. Yeah, because the fourteenth is the game at um, Colorado. So this game on Thursday was. In Tampa, but the bet was on the game 
on Valentine's Day. That's why I made the bet for Valentine's Day. It was like, it'd be a sweet treat. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. I'm just, I'm going to have to figure out how to like, we'll have to Grubhub you a dinner. So, because I don't, I'm not in Florida. Um, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. We'll see. I'm game. Um, it would help if it would be more fair if Colorado had healthy players, <laughs> but I'll still, uh, I'll, I'll still go through with it. We'll see. So, but if, but if we win, then you have to like basically get me, uh, my choice, right? Yeah. If, if the Avalanche win, then like we, we talked about, I would send you like 20 bucks or whatever. And if, if you want to send you 20 bucks, then if. Okay. Okay, well, so we'll do it money wise. I was gonna, I was about to say, hold on, how do how do you get a steak dinner and I get twenty bucks? <laughs> no, fair. it'll just be like a it'll just be a Venmo transaction. Okay. And... that's fair. We'll do it. We'll do a twenty dollar Venmo bet. Um, that's fair. I I still don't okay. like it because Colorado has like one healthy player, thanks to the league not suspending that idiot from the Bruins for giving Kale McCarr a concussion. That was great. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm game. And people are down there uh, listening, so they can they can hold me to it. Cool. Um, yeah, but everything else uh, people have pretty much talked about. And I just had uh, someone in the comments earlier today explaining to me the whole Hamilton 68 thing because... I'm just thinking about the musical, and I'm just like, I don't know what this hand Yeah, all, all of these assholes like to appropriate presidents. You have the, the grifters appropriating Lincoln, and you have Bill Crystal and John Podesta appropriating Hamilton, and all of this stuff. So for those of you who don't know, this is part of the Twitter files where a think tank, which was led by John Podesta and Bill Crystal. They basically were pressuring Twitter behind the scenes to suspend accounts that they suspected were Russian spies or Russian assets. Um, Twitter pushed back on a lot of it. Twitter was even, and I'm talking Yoel Roth, who was like, dude, no, these are organic accounts. Some of them were just making jokes. But they were successful at basically penetrating their friends in the news industry. NBC, Ken Glyden from NBC News pushed a lot of these um, hashtags like the walk away or the Blexit or whatever. These were hashtags that uh, Hamilton 68 group was claiming were Russian hashtags. And so they managed to get put, like outlets like Politico, CNN, NBC, New York Times, Washington Post to verified. And every time reporters basically said to them, hey, we, you know, can you tell us which accounts are doing this? Uh, the group and its researchers would say, uh, no, we can't because then Russia will be on to you. So <laughs> it li- it literally is like fucking McCarthy. It's digital McCarthyism. It's this. It's like if Louise Mensch was was in charge of an entire media ecosystem here. Okay, and obviously it's popular knowledge. I worked for Heat Street prior to her losing her marbles, and I was there the night that she lost her marbles. It wasn't pretty. That's another story I've told, but I may tell again. Um. 
but they were successful in pushing this Russians everywhere narrative into mainstream media. Everyone remembers the Time magazine cover of the White House turning into like a Russian Orthodox style onion building. And that, I mean, that's what they were successful at doing at basically saying that Trump is a compromised Russian asset and, the, and there's Russians everywhere and they're on Twitter and they're in the media and they're spying and whatever. And it turned out none of it was true. Basically none of it was true. And that's what the Twitter files, uh, revealed, uh, of the Hamilton 68. Uh, and I think it was Schellenberger who had that originally, uh, or it might've been Taibbi. Um, and that's basically Crystal and Podesta just did a rat fuck operation to just undermine a democratically elected president. Whether you like Trump or not is completely beside the point. Um, and so all of these people who talk about defending democracy, which is a Bill Crystal pack, it's a special, it's a 501c3, um, they're not really doing that. They're undermining democracy and they know that they're doing it and they're doing it. And uh, speaking about Trump, like this is my last point and then I'll let you go to the next uh, caller. But like the people that are pushing Trump for next year, do you think they have a point? Because to me, like I voted for the dude, but I think his time has passed and I'm Ronnie D all the way. My sister was at the Florida State Fair yesterday, and Ronnie was there, and she saw him, like, with his kids riding the rides and all that shit. So it's like, yeah, he's just a guy, He's and he's been great for the state of Florida. I have no complaints about him whatsoever. But all the, like, MAGA Trumpsters that are out there just saying Trump or nothing, I just don't understand. And I just want to get your viewpoint on that, and then I'll let you go. Uh, it's interesting that Ross did the New York Times that basically he, he has a theory that both Trump and Biden – they're not going to have like an agreement, but they're both going to gang up on DeSantis to basically poison him uh, heading into the primaries uh, should he decide to run. There was, of course, the Bloomberg report yesterday that said DeSantis behind the scenes is gearing up a presidential run. Um, I can tell you I haven't heard anything about that, but there is a rumor out there that um, Biden, Biden and Trump are basically going to both go after him because – there was the report out of the Biden White House. They really don't want to run against him, even if it comes down to just the simple fact of age. DeSantis is 44. He's the same age that Obama was when, when Obama won, um, going up against Biden, who's 139 years old. And so they don't want to run against him. And obviously they do want Trump, and obviously the media wants Trump. And so it's not just going to be Biden and Trump ganging up on him. It would be the whole of the news media, you're going to start to see Joe Scarborough ever so slightly warm back up to Trump and call him, you know, this could be a, this could be a race between the elder statesmen. And maybe then he decides to have Trump back on his show again. And maybe then networks decide we're going to start putting Trump back out there again for a couple of reasons. One, so he sucks up all of the oxygen and two, because they know he won't shut up about having the election stolen. 
And no one, and I mean no one going into 2024, wants to continue that. And they know that Trump will not just shut up about it. And so there is that dynamic at play. As far as people who are still all in on Trump, um, I don't know how many of those people are. I know that he has kind of a, a group of online guys who are wholly devoted to him. And to me, they all are like sitting there waiting for daddy to come home. And what I mean by that is they're basically out here waiting to see when he starts tweeting again. And I think that that's all that really is. Um, a select few of online influencers who are 100% pro-Trump or nothing aren't going to decide the primaries. They're not going to decide the elections, um, considering you have Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. Um, another aspect of this is you're starting to see a lot of pro-Trump people also turn to Nikki Haley, who Nikki Haley is announcing on the 15th of February, this Wednesday, that she is in fact running. And you're seeing a lot of them kind of warm over to Nikki Haley because they think that that would be a good ticket and they think they can get Haley to attack DeSantis as well. And so I think what's shaping up to be another crowded primary and how that benefits Trump or DeSantis, I don't know yet because we still have pieces up. It's, it's one of those things that I'm just hanging back and watching to see, not speculating on who does or who does not run, but to watch it, who actually does. We just got a report that Tim Scott now is, is looking at doing it and Kerry Lake is going to Iowa now. So if you end up with people back in the primary, that benefits Donald Trump and it only benefits Donald Trump. So, um, there's a lot of people who think like you who are just over it. They want to move on, whether it's DeSantis or somebody else. Um, but a lot of the polling is saying that it isn't anyone else right now. And that's why you have Trump going after him in the, in the ways that Trump will go after someone. And that's why you have Duthat writing that you're going to see a gang up to ensure Trump gets the nomination. And that's politics. It's frustrating. There's not a lot you can do as just a voter except. Um, but that's. Well, Haley's Haley's not running for president. She's running for state or VP. And I think she would be great in either one of those roles. But she's not going to be president. And I don't think anyone with a brain thinks she will be president. But she would be a great secretary of state. She would be a great VP. But she's just not going to be president. So that whole thing is, it's just a push to make her a candidate for state or vice president. That's all it is. And I respect that. That's fine. But just look at it for what it is. Um, and I, I guess we'll wait and see. There's a lot of reasons people do run. They run to elevate a profile. They do it for possibly to stay in the conversation for to for books or to whatever. I mean, Rick Santorum ran for 12 fucking election cycles and never got out of the bottom 3%, but there he was. Um, so uh, it's just kind of a wait and see at this point. It's just a wait and see at who jumps in and who, and, and what happens from there. Um, you have Pence who was subpoenaed again. I think, and, and I agree with someone who said if Pence doesn't fight the subpoena, he's dead. Like completely he's done. He's toast. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Jack, I'm going to move on to uh, Larry here and then wrap up with Andrew, but um, we'll keep for the ads and lightning. Okay. Good night. All right. Have a good night, Jack. How's it go?
I can do that because I have the microphone. Uh, Larry, thanks for waiting back there. <laughs> go ahead. No problem. Am I on now? You are. Go ahead. All right, cool. Yeah, I tried to call back a few weeks ago, I think back when you had your uh, your Twitter account suspended for, I don't know, a day or something like that. And I, I said, I, my account's been suspended since September, so I, I sympathize with that. And I'm starting to come around on your whole thing about, you know, Elon maybe not being the, the chosen one that a lot of us thought that he would be when he bought the platform. I think, I think the... I, I, I watch the drama with Elon Musk from afar because it kind of just bores me. Um, but it's like like Dana Leish had her account locked, I guess, yesterday. And like all of them are tweeting at Elon Musk, help us, Elon. And I'm just kind of like, it's so cheesy. That's why I, that's why I didn't really even tell anyone. It's like, oh, my account's locked for 12 hours. Oh, I'm going for a run. Um, just because I, I hate that. I hate when people are just like, help us, Elon. Like he really doesn't give a fuck in the end. He doesn't give a fuck about you or your Twitter account. I mean, there's a lot of people who thinks he does, you know, because he, you know, he brought some people back from suspension, which I'm, I'm fine with all of that. And then you just resuspend them if, you know, they, they continue to break policy. But he, that's one of the things I want people to know. He doesn't give a shit about you. He gives a shit about getting your money, your $8. Uh, he, he just said again, they're going to sunset legacy blue checks, which is me. And uh, the only time I think I've ever replied to him was to yesterday when I said, I don't understand how you don't get that verification is not, it's you're like, you're treating it like a badge for paying you when verification was always about just verifying who you are. You can argue about the merits about who should be able to do that. I personally think anyone should be able to get verified, but you have to verify that you're an actual person. You, you send in your ID like I had to do and you tell them, hey, I'm in media or I just shit post or I'm random dude who works at, you know, the car plant. Who cares? Um, anyone should be able to get verified. But it's a it's a system that is just telling people this is the real person that you are. And he's just getting completely rid of that. And I mean, to, to answer the question, no, I do not plan on paying him eight dollars. If I lose the if I lose the blue check, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I don't expect him to go account by account and like you know free it individually or anything like that. I just it just seemed like I thought there was going to be like a massive sort of get out of jail free card where he was just gonna they were just gonna press a button and you know, <laughs> yeah. you just unlock at least, at least everyone self. for not like a gross violation. I mean, like I. I my account got suspended because there was a story out of Florida where some guy, he like got into a fight with his girlfriend and he killed her baby or something like that by snapping his spine. And I just said straight to the electric chair. And that's, that's what has me suspended since Great. September. So I, yeah. But anyways, the reason I was calling um, about the whole Chinese spy balloon thing, I think the other day, you know, you, during the call in, you had a, um, observation, like a Goodfellas reference. I think you said that, you're going to be you know, driving around like Ray Liotta. Yeah, just up, you know, sweaty and so coked he, out and looking up to make sure there's not a Chinese spy balloon above. Yeah, and I sort of had, I mean, I, like as you were talking, I had like a, a Goodfellas reference pop in my head too, just because of the, the way that they that Biden talks about it when everyone in his administration and the way that the media lets him get away with it, it reminded me more of the scene where, uh, you know, Pesci gets whacked. Uh, I'm sorry, 1990 spoiler alert for everyone here, but when Pesci gets whacked and, you know, uh, De Niro's on the phone and the guy's just like, eh, you know, some stuff happened and uh, uh, we had a problem, but we couldn't do nothing about it. You know, and they just kind of accepted that that reasoning or something like that for him getting whacked. And it's just the, the fact that the media lets him get away with, oh, you know, we're just going to let it, 
you know, it's been over the country for the past four days. We're just going to let it go for another two days and it'll, it'll be gone, you know, and then we won't have to worry about it anymore. It's just pathetic. And now here we are, Biden's just shooting down anything that's in the sky now. After saying that we couldn't shoot down a spy balloon for eight days, because what's funny is somebody on Twitter said, what happens if it lands on a school or a hospital? And then Biden used that exact thing. He said, you don't want it like landing on a school. And I was just like, man, it's like I said, this this administration is just addicted to Twitter. It's it's crazy. Um, A fun little Goodfellas factoid that I don't know if a lot of people got. So you know the two guys that whack Tommy? He, he, walks in the, he walks in the room and you see the two guys behind him and then one shoots him. They're sitting in Polly's little diner uh, when Ray Liotta goes to ask him for money. He, he goes to apologize for the drugs and everything, for getting pinched. And then Polly gives him the cash and he says, now I got to turn my back on you. Then it cuts and when Ray Liotta walks out of that little diner, that little restaurant, the two guys who whacked Tommy are sitting there like playing chess or something. And that was one of those little, that's like the last thing I noticed from that film. And I'm like, ah, fuck. That was. Oh, geez. I never noticed that. I might have to watch it later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it was one of those last, like, and that's what Goodfellas is so good. I mean, you pick up something kind of new every time you watch it. Uh, but that was the last thing that I picked up. I was just watching it. And I was like, oh, shit, they're sitting right there. So when you see Ray Liotta just walk out forever, um, it's the two guys sitting there. And so that's kind of also the implicit thing that, that Polly's going to have him whacked as well. And that's why he, he goes and becomes. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll let the next caller jump on. I think I have a crying baby that might be waking up from a nap, so I'm going to jump off here. Yeah, hurry up. That's going to ruin all of our nights, Larry. But uh, th- thanks for your uh, quick thoughts, and uh, it's good. To, it's good to hear some of the newbies. So, good luck getting your account back. I know, like, I have a couple of people that I've been like John Ekdahl, formerly Vase of Spades, just got his account restored, and he's been bitching forever. So, never lose hope. I guess. All right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Take care. Cheers. Uh, we'll wrap up here. Uh, it's good. We went for a good short, quick hour here on a Saturday night, and then we can all get on with our lives. Andrew, go ahead. Um, speaking of people who I hope do eventually, the last one I really notice is I really hope they eventually let Chris Kender back on. He's always been so such a smart guy. But uh, but uh, beyond that, um, my main thing that's going on is I just I'm really w- wondering also about. What is it? Why is why do when it comes down to it, there's this seems to be this huge push to create these celebrities. Do you think it was? Uh, do you think it is the thing that of uh, you always talk about how Barack Obama was his first real celebrity as a president? You know, the guy who really pushed being used the president presidency to be a celebrity. Yes. I mean, he, he was. I mean, people like the funny, the, the thing people like to argue with about that is they said, well, what about Reagan? And it's like, no, hold on. Reagan was an actor, but then he was the head of the RNC and then he was governor of California for, what, 12 years or whatever. So it, and then when he got into office, he didn't use the presidency as a vessel to be a celebrity. Um, and that's what I mean. And then, of course, you had Bill Clinton play the saxophone on Arsenio Hall. And that was kind of the first it was the first thing of, you know, you have him on a talk show and someone pointed to Nixon on laughing. And I was like, okay, 
Um, so it's not that they haven't appeared on these shows. It's the way that they were being treated on these shows that was different. And then when Obama won, obviously, Obama was a Pepsi can. It was he was a he was a guy that you could attach any slogan to, and all he had to do was go out and say it, and everyone would fall over him. He was basically Beyonce. And then when Obama won, he was or he was he was treated in the press as an all important celebrity. Uh, he had to go do his ESPN brackets. We had to get his way in on the Kanye Taylor Swift thing, and every single issue that the press was interested in, he they had to get his thoughts on it. And he relished that. He loved being in that role. Um, this was a guy who loved, like, hanging out with George Clooney at Lake Cuomo and just talking with, with actors. And, of course, his whole, his whole po every policy he pushed, he used celebrities. Uh, I don't know if people remember, but he used Morgan Freeman and Jack Black to push the Iran deal. Like, what the fuck are you using Jack Black for? He used uh, Bill Murray to push Obamacare and... He relished in just being around celebrities. It was the only thing he really enjoyed about being president, which is why the second he walked out of the Oval Office, he went and joined Netflix. Right. Um, but what I was wondering, we've seen how just how every single um, put, um, every single, uh, you know, publication is just collapsing right now. Do you think that that helped cause it? Or do you think it was the, the big with, you know, with the Great Recession happening, do you think it was a way of trying to staunch the, the collapse of, of traditional media, or do you think it was the cause of the collapse of traditional media? That's, I mean, that's an interesting question. I think, I think when Obama happened, and if you were if you were real enough to remember it, they were they when when they thought Jim, I, th I genuinely think they thought John Kerry was going to beat Bush because of all the negative stuff coming out of Iraq and, you know, we don't want to be at war anymore, but John Kerry was running on his military service. That was the problem. And so Bush beats Kerry. And I think that that's when they all went off their meds. They just said, we're never going to do this again. So when John McCain was running against Obama, if you put those resumes next to each other, John McCain should have been president. I mean, if you're just putting them side by side, the media decided we are not going to let another Republican neocon warmonger, uh, take over for Bush and probably escalate wars and do all this stuff. And that's when they, you know, basically said, we're going all in on Obama. We're going to ignore Tony Rezco. We're going to ignore the corruption in Chicago around him. We're going to ignore uh, how he managed to illegally unseal marriage records around Jack Ryan. We're going to ignore Reverend Wright. I mean, they, they, they reported on Reverend Wright because they had to, because that clip came out and it was so bad. And that was it. It was a, it was a one week, two week thing. And then it was a right wing conspiracy theory. And he spoke and he, he sounded like a preacher and people were crying and young people were energized. They were not going to let the story of Obama overtake the actual election. And so he wins and they couldn't let that go. They were just enamored with this guy. And remember, you know, one of the first questions that he received in a presser was, what's enchanted you about the presidency so far? That was a real question. Um, and then... Again, he be, he gets embedded kind of into culture. So he's doing his brackets and he's, like I said, he's weighing in on celebrity matters and he's bringing in tons of celebrities just wanted to be around him as much as he wanted to be around them. And they basically celebritized the presidency. And once you do that, you don't come back from it because when you do that, the other side says, hey, maybe we want our own Obama. And they got him. I mean, Donald Trump was an established cultural icon. He still is. Um, 
He he had the image of being this billionaire. He was in the WWE. He had rebuilt his reputation with the help of Jeff Zucker at NBC, who gave him millions for The Apprentice. And then he's like, I'm getting into politics. And all the rules were off now. And now you now you're dealing with people like Kanye West who think they can be president. And uh, we've heard that from a few celebrities who are always like, uh, that's why my prediction, that my prediction was the 2016 nominee was going to be George Clooney. Um, and like I actually wrote about that um, because they they talked about that when he was in the movie, the, the, the Ides of March. He's like, you play a presidential candidate. Well, he plays a scumbag. That's first and foremost. But they were like, you're really interested in politics. And, you're and oh, now he has, he has his wife, who was Julian Assange's attorney, and she's smart. And, 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 and they were just pushing this. They're still pushing Michelle Obama, by the way. They're, that idea is still out there. No matter how many times she's like, I fucking hate D.C. and I hate politics, they're still out there pushing her. And that's why when Biden gets in now um, – they don't really have that. Like he tries, but Biden doesn't have that celebrity allure. He's just kind of like grandpa at the party. And that's why you see them going off and they're creating Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gets magazine covers and Giselle Fetterman's now getting magazine covers and the squad gets magazine. And that's what they're doing. Um, and so they're, they're never going to, they're never going to get away from doing that. They, they always will run a Democrat as someone who's, you know, kind of a cultural icon. Look at Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke had Beyonce and he could skateboard and he was on The View and he's sexy. He looks like another Kennedy and he's skateboarding in parking lots and he was in a band and he loses every election that he's in. Look at Stacey Abrams. Uh, Stacey Abrams, she's on Star Trek. She's all over the place. She's getting books. She's getting media attention and she's an election denier. And so that's uh, they're never going to get away from that until I guess the country gets away from that. And perhaps maybe we do that in this upcoming But that, but I was just wondering, how do you think that's contributed? Do you think it has really contributed to the collapse of media as an organization? Yes. Like, oh, it's sort of like it, I know. Obviously, the internet has done a huge part of that collapse. It's, that's undeniable. But it's sort of like again, like so many times, what I th- say is, it, you, it's not that if you go woke, you go broke. It's that you're going woke as an ex- as an attempt to avoid going broke without actually looking at your actual issues. Right. And that's the and that's one of the big problems. It's um, it's like so much of it is that well, I may personally not find it. Most people wouldn't care, but they do. But they are already having other issues that are making things worse, and those are the things that are people don't want to actually address and want to do these other things instead. I, I think people use multimedia as a form of escapism. So you know when. We just saw the story that supposedly Disney's going to be exploring Luke Skywalker's LGBTQ identity. Okay, whatever. At this point, I don't even care. <laughs> like, I'm just like, yeah, fire away, guys. Um, but we just saw that Disney has to restructure, and they're and they're losing millions of dollars. Um, is there a connection? Well, we haven't seen any actual polling that says there's an actual connection there, but there is probably a good chunk in the country that is just like, I don't want my fucking kid exposed to this. Um, and so th- there certainly appears to be patterns. Um, when you look at, for instance, you know, for the title of the episode, you look at the, the Hogwarts video game, for example, um, that was just kind of like a children's novel. Like this, when Harry Potter came out, it was kind of, it was a cultural wave because it was the first real books that came out for like that were news for kids but they are also for reading things and adults were uh enjoying these books as well and 
uh, lo and behold, and then J.K. Rowling comes out and she says something that uh, a good a chunk of her audience doesn't like, and now they're basically trying to erase her. Well, she has fuck you money, so that's not going to happen. So as far as like the whole, you know, go woke, go broke, I don't know. We saw the controversy with the NHL this past, what, three weeks with not wearing the jerseys or, or whatever, and the NHL to me – um, that doesn't have the money to be able to withstand something like that. They're the fourth popular sport in the country. They pay their players the the least amount of money. And so um, is media contributing to it? I think how media is contributing to it is this. They've decided that their playbook, when a law passes that they don't like, or if you know Roe is overturned, their playbook is to put pressure then on corporations to get involved because corporations are the ones that have the money to put pressure, political pressure on people. And so uh, especially Disney in Florida is a perfect example of this. When DeSantis took on Disney in Florida, you had Greg Sargent at the Washington Post saying he's going to have a reckoning for this. He's going to get his ass kicked. He's going to lose. And it turns out he didn't. Um, And Disney's the one losing millions and millions of dollars now. And so, the way media is contributing to this is culturally is if you don't fall in line, um, then you're going to pay for it. Uh, just before I came on, uh, there's a story breaking at NBC news, Sur- professional surfer, Bethany Hamilton. She's the one who survived the shark attack. She has one arm says she does not intend to participate in un- upcoming world surf league events. After the organization announced it will allow transgender women to compete in women's sports. Um, so you're going to get cases like this. Well, she's, she's on the chopping block next, pardon the pun. Um, what's funny about the Bethany Hamilton thing, surfing is like one of the few sports that kind of lends itself to being unisex. (laughs) I mean, you have, it's you on a board. There's only so much you can really do. It's not like you're trying to hit a fastball. Um, so I thought that that was funny, but the thing about this kind of cultural shift, the way media is trying to punish people that they see unfit is a pendulum always swings back always. And this is kind of what I try to remind people, you know, who lose their heads and, you know, listen to Mark Levan and get all of their shit from him. It's like, guys, Ah. you know, yeah. Ah. Um, One of the funny, like one story I also just retweeted a, uh, a school district in New Hampshire, right here per the AP, Students in a New Hampshire school walked out after the school board halted the use of urinals as a result of a debate over gender identity and bathroom use. So Um, uh, (laughs) a school board's getting rid of urinals, and now you have students going, fuck you, we're out of here. And so I think a part of culture will swing back against the media, but they do have a large amount of power that they use to shift that conversation, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I don't know if that answers your question. Um, but they don't, I don't really think that they care. If you oppose this kind of, this radical kind of trans agenda, and I'm not talking about transgender people, I'm talking about the activist base that's out here suing bakers for not baking their fucking cake, that eventually that's going to become so unpopular that the media may not like become less woke, but they'll certainly stop talking about it. Does that make sense? I I think it does. I'm sorry I had to get off for a second. Um, uh, I'm gonna have to get off pretty soon. One of my uh, we've been looking after a neighbor and he just passed. So you have a good rest of the night, Stephen. Like, did he? He just passed during the show. 
literally while I was calling, I was getting a call from my dad. Okay. You have a good rest of the night. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Uh, go go take care of that. Um, so I hope that that works out. Um, let's hope nobody else dies in the next uh, three minutes for my wrap-up. Um, that's been episode 86, Hogwarts and all. <laughs> uh, just kind of an open topic. So um, I'm going to try to be back ne- next week. I have kind of another up in the air schedule, but um, I'm going to try to be back a couple times, maybe Monday and then maybe a Wednesday or Thursday. I will be back on Substack. I think this is our first call-in since I settled in uh, to Substack. So I hope that that's treating everybody well. Bo keeps yelling at me to get an assistant. And I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I'm almost there yet. We'll see. I'm still, I'm still a little operation. I didn't, wasn't even mentioned in the Brookings Institute of podcast misinformation. So I'm just taking it that, that they know who I am and I'm perfect about all the information that I relay to you people. Nothing that I ever say is misinformation. That's how I take that. Uh, again, episode 86, Hogwarts and all. Thanks, uh, to callers, uh, jumping in there. And uh, again, thanks to you guys for just spending uh, a quick hour uh, with us here on a Saturday night. Go celebrate. Go watch a Super Bowl tomorrow. Uh, Go America. Go Gardner Minshew. See you guys on Substack Tuesday.